Welcome to Cascades Bible Church. You have this unique story of this, this woman that you would not expect to be within Scripture. And it starts out with this family from Israel. They live in the town of Bethlehem. And there's a famine in the land. And so they leave and go to another land so that they can find food. And while they're there, the, the sons end up getting married. And they're married for about 10 years. And then the, the father passes away, the sons pass away. And all that was left behind was Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws. You know, and at this point, Naomi is facing a, a major tragedy because this is not a world that has social programs in place to help widows, uh, to help those that are in need. This is a patriarchal society where women don't have a place other than as a part of uh, the family. And when your entire family is gone, suddenly she's essentially abandoned. Uh, and she directly attributes it to God. And she says, you know, God has done this to me. God has left me uh, all alone, has, has basically destroyed me. And so she hears that there's food back in Bethlehem. And so she starts to head back to Bethlehem. And the two daughter-in-laws split at this point. And Ruth goes with Naomi, and they both go back to Bethlehem. And that gets us through chapter one. Uh, and, and we saw there the, the providence of God working in people's lives. And, and there's gonna be three themes that, that the author kind of intertwines throughout the entire book. And all three themes pop up in each chapter, but each chapter really kind of one of those themes shines forth. And in that first one, we see that providence of God that you know, he was the one that brought a famine in the land. He's the one that brought the food back. He's the one uh, that had the, the husband and the sons die. And he's the, the one that brought them back safely to the land. And, uh, and so we see that providence of God in all aspects of their lives. And so now you have these two women. They're back in Bethlehem. But they're still in trouble because they don't have food. They have no way to earn money. And, and so Ruth says, I'm going to go out and I'll glean in the field. And so she goes out into the fields and she runs into this guy named Boaz. And, and she's gleaning in his fields. And gleaning is picking up whatever's left over from the harvest. As they, they go through and they harvest the grain, you know, inevitably some stuff will fall on the ground. And so you can go pick up those little kernels of grain off the ground. And, uh, you know, you may end up with like a handful at the end of the day. Uh, and, but something is better than nothing. And so she ends up in this field of Boaz, and rather than leaving there with a little handful, she leaves with like, you know, 30 weeks of pay uh, of grain. I mean, she, as much as she could possibly carry, Boaz, you know, heaps all of this grain upon her, and he feeds her. He, he has her sit down at his meal in the middle of the day. And, and so the theme that we see come forward in chapter two was this idea of loving kindness, you know, that you're caring for somebody, that you're sharing with somebody, uh, that you're expressing your, your love towards someone. And we see that from Boaz to Ruth, but also from Ruth to Naomi, to her mother-in-law. And so that idea of loving kindness comes forth. And so she gets back home 
And, and Naomi is shocked. Where did you get all this grain? I mean, you should come back with a little handful. And, and we have months worth of grain now. And she says, well, I, I met this guy, Boaz, in, in the field. And Naomi starts to, to see maybe a glimmer of hope. Because she knows who Boaz is. Boaz is one of her relatives. And in fact, she calls him a Goel, which is a redeemer. And that leads us into then chapter three. And in chapter three, that's gonna be the theme that came forward there was this idea of redemption and a redeemer. And so Naomi kind of hatches a plan, comes up with a scheme, and she sends Ruth out in the middle of the night to the threshing floor to meet up with Boaz. Yeah, and, and again, this is not our time. So they don't have street lamps and night lights and, you know, I mean, when you're at night, it's dark, right? And, and so Ruth goes out and she gets to the threshing floor and there's Boaz and he's sleeping there and she creeps up and grabs his foot. And now imagine you're Boaz, you're, you're sleeping in the middle of the night, in the dark, outside, guarding your grain, and something grabs your foot. And he wakes up, realizes it's this woman, Ruth, that he had met, and they start to have this discussion. And Ruth propositions Boaz and asks him two things. One, I want you to marry me, and two, Will you redeem our land? You're, you're one of our closest relatives. I want you to redeem the land that belonged to the family of Elimelech and Naomi. And so Boaz's response is, yes. You know, before the day is over, yes, I will take care of both of these requests. One, marry me. Two, redeem our land. And so that's where it ends off, is it's early in the morning. Ruth goes back to the home. Of course, he sends her back with more grain. And we're left to wonder, what is going to happen this day? And that's where verse 18, 318 says, Then she said, Mrs. Naomi, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest until he has settled it today. And so that's where we are, you know. And if you imagine this as a movie or as a play, you know, this is, you know, the final culmination of, of what's going on. This is where, you know, the, the big ending scene where all the excitement has built up to this. And, you know, we know that it's not going to last longer than the rest of this day. You know, we've got maybe 12 14 hours left, and we're going to have a conclusion to this story. And so if you haven't already, turn with me to Ruth chapter 4. And we're going to see three things today. We're going to see all three of the themes of the providence of God, this idea of loving kindness and redemption all come forth. And so the author now really brings all three of these things together and allows them to show how they work together and what does that look like. And so when we go through this, we're going to see this example of loving kindness. This will be the first thing that we look at. This is an example of loving kindness. 
Second, we're gonna look at the encouragement of providence, the encouragement of, of God's providential control in our lives. And then finally, we'll end with the excitement of redemption. And why is the redemption that Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, that they receive, why would that be an excitement for us? What does that have to do with us? So to start with, read through Ruth 4, 1 through 10. It says, now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. And they sat down. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it. And I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. So if you don't remember, she asks Boaz, marry me, redeem the land. And he says, I'll take care of both of these. Yes to both of them. But with the land, there's somebody else that's closer, that has an earlier claim than I could have on it. That's a closer relative. And so he goes to the, the city gate and here comes this guy, this closer relative. And that's who he calls over to sit down. And he says, hey, there's this land. She's gonna sell it. You're a closer redeemer than I am, closer relative. Will you redeem this land? And so he says, yeah, I'll redeem it. And then verse five says, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. So the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses today that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilian and Malon. Moreover, I have acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased will not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. Now, there's a few things that are going on here that we need to look at and understand because 
there's like a lot of weird stuff, right? I mean, they're taking off their sandals. They're, they're talking about, you know, redeeming land, redeeming women. What in the world is going on in this passage? Well, there's really two ways that we can look at this passage. It all kind of hinges on verse five. In verse five, it says, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. You must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. Now, if you read Hebrew, you, you could read Hebrew, and I put the Hebrew text up on the screen for you that's in the Bible, and I asked you to read the Hebrew text, what you would read would say this. On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, I must also acquire Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The I and the you are different. And in the Hebrew Bible, what they'll do is they have this, this thing called a which means what's written and what's said. So what's written and then what do you actually say? And they're just kind of like little minor corrections where, you know, something's been misspelled or uh, whatever, you know, and they have these little things in here. And so here, what's happened is people have kind of confused the situation that's happening here. And what they think is, oh, this is, uh, you know, a Leverite marriage. So if you ever heard of a Leverite marriage, if you look in um, Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, it says, if brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother, that his name will not be blotted out of Israel. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him, and if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull off his sandal of his foot, and spit in his face. And she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. And so they go, okay, well, there's some sandal stuff going on here and some marriage things. And this must have been like a Leverite marriage and the I doesn't make sense, so we're gonna say you instead. So when you get the field, you must also acquire Ruth and it's this Leverite marriage. But that's not what's happening here. You know, we don't need to correct the I and make it a you. We can leave it as an I because if we remember, Ruth made two requests. Boaz, marry me. And then also serve your function as a goel. And a goel was actually this legal obligation that family members had. And the, kind of, the goels had three responsibilities. One, uh, one of your family members was killed. 
then you would chase down the murderer and you would take his life. You would go redeem your family member by putting the killer to death. Or if one of your family members was sold into slavery, you would go purchase them back out of slavery and redeem them out of slavery. Or the third thing was, if the family had to sell their land for some reason out of their, their family, then the Goel, the redeemer, would go buy back that land for the family. And this was not brothers, but whoever was this redeemer within the family that fulfilled that role. And so that's what's really happening here. Two requests, marry me and redeem the land. And so he goes to this guy and he says, serve your function as a goel. I mean, I'll do it, but you're closer. But I also don't want you to be misled. I want you to understand something. I am also going to acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased. I'm going to marry her and I'm going to do it in order to raise up the name of the deceased, of her husband, Malon, on his inheritance. So then this closest relative, he says, oh, well, I can't do it. Because if I do, then my inheritance is at risk. And it makes sense when we read it as I rather than you. Because let's, if we read it as you, and, you know, hey, friend, you have to take Ruth, you know, also with the land, why is his inheritance gonna be harmed? If he has any children with Ruth, they're his children. But if Boaz marries Ruth, and this guy buys the field, Ruth and Boaz have children, then at some point that land is gonna revert back to Ruth's children. And whatever money he's invested now is going to be lost, and his inheritance will be impaired. And so he says, oh, no, 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 I don't wanna lose my money. This is a bad deal. Thanks for giving me the warning that you're gonna marry this Moabite Ruth. I don't want it. And here we see a difference in this idea of loving kindness. So one, we have the loving kindness of Boaz, where Boaz says, I'll take care of you, Ruth. And then he goes and waits at the city gate till this other guy comes along and he makes plans for her land to be redeemed. But he also commits to marrying her and taking care of her. Even at a possible loss of his own money that I'm gonna have to now take care of her. I'm gonna end up having to take care of Naomi. You know, this is gonna be a financial burden. But his loving kindness is expressed in this sacrifice that he makes for her. Where this other guy, which in your Bibles, it probably says friend, right? In, in verse one, he says, turn aside friend and sit down here. You know, this is the Bible translators being nice to this guy, okay? When they say friend, because it's not what it says. In the Hebrew, it's this mishmash of these two words that don't really go together. It's poloni almoni, 
right? So think of like helter-skelter. What does helter-skelter even mean? Alone, what does helter mean and what does skelter mean? But you put them together and it's like, oh yeah, it means craziness, right? Well, Poloni Almoni is like, just like that. It's like, what? But what it means is Mr. So-and-so. Like we, we don't even know what his name is. We don't even care what his name is. It's just this dude, whatever. Hey, Mr. So-and-so, why don't you come on over here and sit down? And this is how he's recorded for all time. You know, his unwillingness to express loving kindness towards Naomi and Ruth, he gets recorded in history as Mr. So-and-so, as opposed to Ruth, who has a book named after her, and Boaz, who ends up in the line of the kings of Israel, they're recorded for all time. And here we are on a Sunday talking about Boaz and Ruth and some guy. We don't even know what his name is. So Boaz's loving kindness towards her is rewarded by him finding a place in history. And really, Boaz and Ruth both become this living illustration of what divine loving kindness looks like. You know, our reading today, for God so loved the world. Well, how did God love the world? You know, I mean, you can say God loved the world. That's great. But if I just say, oh, I love something, that doesn't mean anything unless you see those actions. Boaz and, and Ruth exhibit that loving kindness. They live it out. Boaz cares for her physically, cares for her uh, by giving grain, by protecting her. Ruth cares for Naomi by not abandoning her, by committing herself to Naomi's God, by committing herself to Naomi's people, by bringing herself into the family of Israel. They express that loving kindness. And through them, we see that loving kindness is sacrificial and that it's merciful. And we learn that about God. And we see God's loving kindness expressed through these two. So then our story continues. And in verse 11, it says, all the people who were in the court and the elders said, we are witnesses May Yahweh make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, both of whom built the house of Israel. And may you achieve wealth in Ephrathah and become famous in Bethlehem. Moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which Yahweh will give you by this young woman. So then the people come together, they see this loving kindness of Boaz expressed towards Ruth, the Moabitess. I mean, remember, that's who she is. She's this foreign woman coming from a, a land that is an enemy to Israel. And they start to pray. They start to make this declaration. We're witnesses. You know, and may Yahweh make this woman 
like Rachel and Leah, who gave birth to the entire nation of Israel. All the tribes came through those two women. And then he, they go to Perez and Tamar, and they bring up this story of these two, and it's not as well known, and it's an ugly story, but similar to the story of Boaz and Ruth, Tamar was a Gentile woman. And through her, the line of Israel, the line of Judah, was sustained in a weird, crazy situation. And this was the line of Boaz. These were his relatives, and this is why they bring them up. Because the people say, look at what God has done in the past. May he do the same thing with you. And I doubt these people had any idea in the world how God was going to answer their prayers. You know, and then they say, will Yahweh give you a child by this woman? Now, there's no reason for them to think that this woman's going to have a child. I mean, she's older. She was married for 10 years and never had a child. Boaz is older himself. He's probably much, much older, if not 15, 20 years older than Ruth. You know, why would they even think it's possible that these two are going to have children? But it's a nice thing to say. You know, hey, God give you all the blessings in the world. You know, everything you could ever imagine. And boy, does God answer their prayer. Verse 13 says, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and Yahweh enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. So God answers that, that prayer. Give them offspring. And it says that it was Yahweh that enabled her to conceive. That it was God that did this thing, it was within his providential control, and he worked this out in their lives. And so we see this encouragement of providence. You know, and often we think of God's sovereignty, of God's providential care, only in miraculous or spectacular events. Right? Israel hits the, the Red Sea, God parts the sea. Wow, that's God's sovereignty, God's providence. Jesus is on the boat, there's a storm, he stands up, he stills the storm. Wow, there's God exercising his sovereign control and providence. Yeah, and, and we think of those types of situations of God <clears throat> working and acting in our lives or in people's lives. But here, in Ruth, over and over again, we see that God doesn't just act in those miraculous, spectacular ways, but he's also working in everyday occurrences in our lives, in the food that we eat, in the children that we have, in the jobs that we have, where we live, the church we go to. All of this is within God's providential control. <clears throat> And we should find an encouragement in that. That even when we hit years like 2020, and it seems like all hope is lost, that ultimately it's all part of God's plan. You know, and none of this has caught God off guard. That there is a purpose in what he's doing. 
I mean, could Naomi ever have imagined when she left Bethlehem years and years ago because they were starving, that God would take her to a foreign land and kill all the male members of her family and then send her back to Bethlehem with no children and just some tag-along foreign daughter-in-law that's really just an extra burden to her and that this would be a blessed event? Naomi could have never have imagined that. And how often do we end up in those types of situations where we think, this is hopeless. I mean, why is this even going on? God, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this? I, I don't understand, and there's no way out of this. There's no good that can come from this. But we read a book like Ruth, and we can step back and say, okay, God, I have no idea what you're doing in my life. I have no idea why these events are happening or why you've put me in this situation, but I know two things. One, I know it's not out of your control and that you ultimately have a plan. And two, I know how you want me to behave through this situation. I know how you want me to act. One, I'm gonna have a faith in you, a faith that you're in control, a faith that you've promised to save us, a a faith that you've promised to exhibit loving kindness towards us. And so that whatever the circumstances are in my life, it's not a lack of loving kindness from you, God, but it's all within your plan. And two, I'm gonna go live out my life the way that you desire, expressing loving kindness towards other people, telling them about how you've worked in my life, giving them the gospel. So we find an encouragement in understanding and recognizing the providence of God. And then that leads us to the end of our story where we see the excitement of redemption. 14 through 17 says, then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed is Yahweh who has not left you without a redeemer today. And may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And and here at the end, this entire book now changes because this goes from being a nice story, a nice love story of this Moabite woman that, clings to her Israelite mother-in-law and they come back and they find this nice guy in the field and they get married and they have a son and they live happily ever after. No, it ends with, and David. And so when this book was written, it was after David, either during David's time, after David. 
And so Israel understood, you're an Israelite reading this later on, you're gonna recognize who David is. David is the greatest king that Israel's ever had. He's their greatest warrior, he's their greatest king, he's their greatest poet. I mean, he is the pinnacle of their kingship. And he's also the one whose throne was said to be everlasting, that God was going to uh, sustain that throne and that through that throne, he was gonna bring redemption to Israel. And so now suddenly this story, like a great movie with a twist ending, has this huge twist at the end, and now the context of it is totally different. I mean, this is the story of the sustaining of the line of David. But there's so much that's redeemed here. I mean, if we look at it, we just go through, I won't even hit all of them, okay? We'll we'll hit just the, the big ones. Naomi is redeemed herself. And it said, it's interesting, that she's redeemed not by Ruth, not by Boaz, but she's redeemed by Obed. That Obed is the one that redeems Naomi. And so Naomi is now given new life because you remember at the beginning, all of her children are gone. I have nobody, the line is done. This is the end. But here in Obed, there's a hope now for Naomi that my family's line is not dead. There's new hope in this grandchild. Ruth is redeemed. Ruth is a foreigner in a foreign land apart from Yahweh. And through these circumstances, she's brought into the fellowship of of Yahweh. She's given the, the chance and the ability to worship Yahweh and abandon her gods. She's brought into Israel and she's given an incredible husband and she's given a child who's then gonna go on and have the greatest king of Israel. Because of Ruth, Ruth is redeemed. Malon, Ruth's original husband, is redeemed because that poor guy died before he had any kids. His land's done, his family's done. Yet now, because of Boaz and Ruth and their child Obed, now Malon's line gets to continue. Same with Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And Boaz, Boaz is redeemed. Apart from this, Who would have known about Boaz? You wouldn't have known who Boaz was, some landowner in Israel. Yet because of his actions and what he did in his faith in God, God redeems him and remembers him and records him in the Bible. And then Israel is redeemed. You know, when this book starts out, it starts at Judges. If you don't remember, this was how it was. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You know, and if you go back and you read the end of Judges, it's an absolute disaster. I mean, it is a nightmare world that they are living in. When they say everyone did what was right in his own eyes, they did it by abusing other people, by murdering other people. It was an ugly world. 
And how do you go from this ugly, fallen nation to the book of Samuel? How do we get to Samuel? And ultimately, how do we get to David? Well, Ruth tells us, because of the loving kindness of Boaz towards Ruth, Ruth towards Naomi, because the providence of God and his care over this family, he redeems Israel and removes them from the situation of the judges, of this terrible place that they're at. And he brings them to an established nation with an established king. But the book doesn't end there. It's like, Ruth has like multiple endings. It's like, you know, you hit verse 15 and you think it could end there. But then it doesn't. Like the author keeps going. And then you hit 17. It's like, all right, this is the perfect ending. But then in like 18 through 22, he tacks on this genealogy. And he says, now, these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram, Aminadab, and to Aminadab was born Nashon, and Nashon, Solomon, and Solomon was born Boaz, and Boaz, Obed, and Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. And you're like, well, that was kind of repetitive, and was that really necessary? Is this like the ending credits to a movie? We can all get up and go now? I mean, isn't that how we deal with this? In our quiet times, we read through Ruth and we hit 18 through 22 and it's like, we can't read through that fast enough. But what the author's doing is he's taking this and he's placing this firmly in the providence of God. Because what did these men do that redeemed Israel? They didn't do anything. I mean, you know, none of these guys are like major, crazy, good guys. You know, I mean, Nashon maybe, but I mean, they just lived and God works through their lives. And on top of that, by putting this genealogy here, he sets the book of Ruth up for a sequel. You didn't know that, did you? There's Ruth part two. So Ruth part two starts over a few books to your right. We call it Matthew. The gospel according to Matthew says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez was the father of Hezron. And Hezron, father of Ram. And Ram was the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David the king. And so Matthew picks up right where Ruth leaves off. He continues the story of Ruth and the redemption doesn't end with Ruth, but it goes on and we read through all of these and we get down to verse 16, 
of Matthew 1 that Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. So now suddenly, Ruth goes from, oh, it's a nice folk tale about this great loving couple. It's a great love story. To, oh, this is, you know, the, the parents of David, the greatest king of Israel, and how that his line was sustained to, no, Ruth, Boaz, Naomi, Obed, their loving kindness towards each other, the providence of God in their situation sustains the line to provide redemption for the entire world. Not just Israel, but for the entire world. Now, I understand God could have done it another way if he wanted to, but he didn't. This was his plan. And apart from this Moabite woman and this landowner in Israel, Boaz, and their loving kindness and God's providential care and his loving kindness, the entire world finds redemption through that promised Messiah, the one who comes to sit on that throne of David. And we see Jesus is that ultimate expression of God's loving kindness. I mean, what we read today, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, what? That he sent Christ. He sent Jesus. Why? To come be that sacrifice, to come be that redemption. You know, you wanna see how loving kindness looks. We see God sending his son. We see Christ coming to sacrifice himself. We see that mercy of God expressed in that loving kindness. And he came to fulfill that sovereign plan of God. God's still working his providential control out by sending his son to be that sacrifice, to provide that redemption not only for Israel and his people, but for the entire world. So that we can, like Ruth, where Ruth starts the story out and it's Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabitess, the Moabitess woman, Ruth. And even at the end of the, near the end of this chapter, or in the middle of this chapter, Boaz tells the other guy, hey, I'm gonna also acquire Ruth the Moabitess. But then a transformation happens in verse 13. Boaz took Ruth. Not Ruth the Moabitess, not the Moabitess Ruth, not this foreign woman Ruth, but he takes Ruth, this person of the family of Yahweh. She's now a part of this family. And that's what our redemption does too. Our redemption takes us from being foreigners to God, foreigners to his kingdom, and we're brought into his family through that redemption, and through his sovereignty. Let me close this in prayer. Dear Lord, we are so grateful for you sending your son to be that redemption for us, to come to be that sacrifice that we couldn't be. We're grateful that you did love us before we even knew who you were. We're grateful for 
Boaz and Ruth and their expression of loving kindness, of living that out in their lives. We're grateful for being able to see your providential care in their lives and your providential care working through them to sustain them, to sustain David's family. We're grateful that we can also find faith and a confidence in your sovereignty over us. I pray that you would help us to be excited about the, the redemption that you've given to us, the redemption that you promised and are working out in our lives, and that we would share that with the rest of the world, that we would show them, here's how God has transformed me. In your son's name, amen. That concludes this recording. We hope you have been encouraged by the message you have heard. For more information about the gospel of Jesus Christ, additional sermon audio, or information about Cascades Bible Church, visit us online at cascadesbiblechurch.com.